0: We're so glad to have you guys all here at church today, whether you are in per- at in-person church in this room or whether you're watching online, whether in the uh, Portland area or California, Arizona, Alaska, wherever you're watching from. We're so glad that you are joining us today. Um, and, uh, you know, I hope that this year has been going well as we started off. 2022, it's just been a a few days into the year and hope it's been good for you guys. And I know for some people it's probably been fantastic, for some of you guys it's probably been really rough. And whether, no matter what situation you find you're in, you are welcome here in this place and in this community. Um, We started a series a couple weeks ago on the very first Sabbath of January called The Year of Jesus. And the question that we're asking is, who is Jesus to you? And that's kind of what the graphic represents, this cross equals Question mark, who is he really to you? And and in the very first message, we kind of imagine this uncomfortable conversation with Jesus where he wants to define the relationship. And he asked a very difficult question, who am I to you really? And uh, what's what what is this? What are we? Are we are we are we casual? Are we exclusive? Are we gonna see other people? Uh, or is this just kind of a weekend thing? Like what where's this relationship? Going, and so uh, this year, my hope and prayer for our community is that twenty twenty two would be the year of Jesus. It's the year where we began to take Jesus really seriously in our lives. And so we and, and understanding whether or not we're actually following Jesus. Am I following? Jesus. Now, when I ask that question, there's, it's difficult to answer that question for a lot of people. What does that mean? What does that look like? How do I really know? And that's what this series is really about. The series is about understanding what it really means to follow Jesus and how can we actually know if we are in fact following Jesus. Jesus. And so this series is not an easy series, guys. This is not like a feel-good message, come to church, feel better about yourself, and walk out the door feeling uplifted and encouraged. That's actually not this series. If you want that series, maybe another time we'll have that, but I just want to warn you this series is not about that. This is like kind of an in-your-face, challenge you, maybe slap you around a little bit, you know, like really focus on important questions. So I want to put that out there that you understand that this is what this series is really about. It's about getting real serious about our relationship with Jesus. Um, and we're doing that by, by putting forward um, a few different statements, what I call versus statements, this versus that, this versus that, to help us ask the question and understand, am I actually following Jesus in my life? And this is not, some, not, this is not for me to answer for you. It's simply for you to answer for you. No one else can answer these questions. It's just about how you answer these questions. So the way we're doing this is I've been giving these statements. This is what the first one in, in uh, January 1, that very first message, the first statement was decision versus commitment. Have I made a decision to believe in Jesus or have I made a commitment to follow Jesus? All right? If I've made a decision to simply believe You may not be following Jesus, or have I made a commitment to follow him? The second statement, what we talked about last week, was knowing versus intimacy. Do I know about Jesus, or do I know Jesus? Do I know about who he is? Do I know the facts of his life, or do I have an intimate relationship with him, a real relationship? relationship is he do i look at jesus am i a fan of his like like i would some celebrity like i know the facts i know the figures i know all the things about him but i don't actually have a relationship with him and and what we talked about last week is that jesus desires that not that you simply know about him but that you have intimacy with him and there's an important relationship. Yes, you need to have knowledge of him in order to have intimacy. But it's possible for many people, especially if you grew, in the, grew up in the church, to know about Jesus but not actually have a relationship with him. So that's the question that we asked last week Do you believe or do you know about Jesus or do you actually know Jesus? Next week um, is going to be uh, part four, and in part four, it's this is going to be one of those messages that's really relevant for for people who grew up kind of in a um, kind of a strict Christian home upbringing, right? Maybe like a legalist upbringing where you were taught. Talk- the, the rules are really important and on Sabbath you could do this and you can't do that. Like if you grew up in that kind of a, uh, an experience, that kind of religious experience, next week is going to be really helpful because we're going to be kind of dealing with, with that in relation to following Jesus and how it's different and how that kind of works, the relationship between the rules and the laws and actually following Jesus. So that's next week. It's going to be really helpful for any of you guys who grew up in that kind of Christian experience. Um, Today is is going to be what I said the most difficult message of the series Today is going to be the challenging one um, because it's going to challenge actually, you know, how you arrange your life and um, We're gonna be dealing with a very difficult passage in scripture that you may have read before and we're like I don't know what that means. I'm just gonna turn the page I don't really want to think about that because that's kind of crazy what Jesus said So today's the most challenging message. So let's pray and let's get into today's today's word father in heaven God, I invite your presence in this place. You know how much I need you. You know how much we need you. And you know how far we are or how close we are to you. And so, Father, God, I pray that you would be very present. God, that these words would be completely yours, Father, and that you would speak to those who need to be spoken to. Lord, name me pray. Amen. So one thing you have to know about Jesus, and um, if you read through the Gospels, you actually might miss it. Um, There's something very important about Jesus that if you don't stop to kind of analyze his behavior and analyze some of his words, you may miss something very important about Jesus. What you may not know is that Jesus was not interested in casual followers. Jesus was not interested in popularity. Which is kind of crazy, right? Because we, we, when we think of people in our world who are like in the media, famous, I mean, Jesus was actually pretty famous in that area, but Jesus didn't care about that. Like, Jesus didn't care about popularity. He didn't care about casual followers. He wasn't really interested. Now, he loved them because he's Jesus, and Jesus loves everybody. He's God. He is love. So he loved all these people, but he wasn't so interested in casual followers. And you see this. And the reason I say this is you see this because there are times where Jesus is at a moment where he has the opportunity to, like, speak to the crowd, to, like, connect with the crowd, the, the masses. And in those moments where it's an opportunity to gain momentum in his, in his movement, to gain more followers, more people, more people interested in him, In those moments, Jesus preaches the most difficult messages in his entire ministry. He says the most difficult things. In those moments, he he doesn't do like a rah-rah pep rally. He actually preaches these messages that will make people say, this is not really for me. He preaches messages where people have to come to the point where they have to ask themselves that question. Do I really want to get involved in this? Like, he preaches these messages where people are going to be like, I didn't sign up for this, man. Like, I'm out. I'm out. Like, I don't want to. And then it's just crazy because these are those moments where he has the opportunity to, like, have exponential popularity, exponential fame. And he's like, I don't care about that. Like, I don't care about all these huge crowds. And so this verse that we're going to deal with, one of the most difficult verses that, you know, we see among some of his teachings, it happens in one of those settings. And this is what happens in Luke chapter 14. The story tells us, the story goes, uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. So there's a very important detail. This is one of those moments. This is one of the moments where where there's a lot of people traveling with him. So, like, these people are going around with him. They're not just, like, showing up at a stadium. They're not just showing up at a church. They're not showing up at a building. They're following him around on tour. So they seem committed. And in this moment where this large crowd, and and we need to take uh, take a moment to kind of dissect the crowd. When Jesus was teaching in this time, in a large crowd, in any given crowd, there was a couple different groups of people. There were obviously his 12 disciples, the most committed followers, the people who are like his guys, his team, right? Like his entourage. But among, among the group, not only were there people like that, but there were people who have committed to following Jesus. Like, we're gonna follow you, we're gonna be your disciples. But they're not the 12, but they're a larger group of followers. And then also, you have people in this crowd of people who, who, who were kind of like, you know, if you're walking down the street, and you saw a large crowd gathering, what would you do? You'd be like, what's going on here? What's happening? Like, what, what? maybe something interesting is going down. Maybe something's crazy. Maybe there's like someone playing, some, a busker, you know, playing some music. Uh, uh, someone doing drums on, on buckets or something like that. Or like someone's gonna dance, right? Like they're gonna break dance or something, so you gather, the crowd gathers together. You have some of those people who are just simple onlookers. They're like, what's going on here? Oh, this is that Jesus guy I heard about? Let's see what the deal is. In this crowd, you also have Jesus' enemies. Pharisees and other people who want to trap him who are in the crowd hoping to rile people up, hoping to hear Jesus say something that they can use against him. And then you have people who are curious, interested, but not committed. People are like, let's see what this Jesus guy is really about. So in this large crowd, Jesus has the opportunity to move all these people into his camp. And so he's walking and he's traveling around And then as Luke tells the story, he says, turning to them, he said, and I just imagine it's a moment where he's like quiet, and then he just turns around and starts talking, right? And everyone's like, shh, everyone be quiet. And then this is what he says. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Bad move, Jesus. Like, what are you doing, man? Right? Like, this is not how you gain popularity. Clearly, Jesus does not care about being popular. He's not interested in the casual follower. He's not interested in the once-a-week church goer. He's not interested in that. And so in these moments, he gives this very difficult teaching where he says, you need to hate your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your family, and even your own life. If you don't, guys, everyone here, if you don't hate them, You can't be my disciple. So you can imagine people in that group are like, what? Are you crazy? Like, this guy's nuts, man. I didn't sign up for this. I'm out. I'm not about this. I don't think I can follow this guy. This guy's a whack job. I'm not going to believe in him anymore. Like, I'm going to tell people, like, that guy's crazy. He has other moments where he does that kind of thing. But how do we understand this teaching? Right. Again, this is probably one of those things that maybe you've heard and read, and you're like, uh, I don't know what that means. Let's move on. But but we we need to we need to clear this up. What is Jesus really talking about here? You know, I, I, the first thing we have to understand is like, if we were to take this literally, I hope you guys understand. If we take this literally, we're it's actually contradicting so many of other Jesus' teachings right? Like Jesus, like when, when I say, when we say hate, to like despise or dislike someone intensely, to, to want harm to come, harm to befall somebody in your life because you dislike them so much, right? Like to do that towards anybody, let alone your family, it would contradict his own teachings. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, Love one another. This is how people know you're my disciples. What's the, the, the greatest commandment? Love God and love others. So, so we have to understand that to take this literally would contradict Jesus' teachings. It would also contradict the Ten Commandments. The Fifth Commandment says, honor your father and mother. You can't really honor them if you hate them. right? So as you hear this, as you as you read this text and hear Jesus say this, you have to understand Jesus is doing a little something here. He's not asking us to to take this literally. And what helps is actually in Matthew, he repeats this teaching to his disciples, to his 12 disciples. And he says in Matthew chapter 10, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Ah, okay. That like makes a little bit more sense. So like, you understand that, that in the first verse, in Luke, he was talking to a large crowd of, of would-be followers. But then in Matthew chapter 10, he's talking to his committed disciples. And he teaches it a little bit differently. So it leads us to believe that Jesus was kind of being dramatic. Jesus was kind of making a point in using the words that he used, in creating the image that he, he created with, like, hating your, your, your family. And, and we have to understand, though, what he is getting at at this time is to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus then is not like following Jesus now. To believe in Jesus then is not like believing Jesus now. When you believe in Jesus now, you go to church and you get baptized and you serve in church and go on mission trips and, and do the things and, like, that's all good. That's all fine. To follow Jesus in the first century was a completely different experience. Because to follow him meant you would literally, physically leave your home. You could not live at home anymore because you actually have to walk around with this guy for an unknown period of time. You have to walk around with him, like to all the neighborhoods, listen to him and and learn from him all the time, constantly, 24 hours a day. You would sleep in the same place as him. You could not be at home. You would literally leave and move from your house. And imagine if, if you were doing that even though you were expected to take over the family business like Peter was. You were trained and taught and expected to take over the family business, and you say, hey, mom, dad, I know that from since I was like five years old, you've been teaching me how to fish so I could take over the family business, but I'm going to follow this guy named Jesus, and so I don't think that's going to happen anymore. You know, like you you. their retirement plan you know what i mean and they're like sorry i'm following jesus now you know you can imagine how how this could have been very difficult for families especially because it's jesus right he's like he's not really known at this time i mean in luke he is but at the time where his disciples were called people are like who's jesus or you're talking about jesus like that guy Are you crazy, you're gonna follow him around, you're gonna be his student, you're gonna give up on everything that we taught you in our home to follow that guy who like, we're not even sure who he is, like he's not established, he's not a part of the institution, he's kinda crazy, he's kinda wild, he's kinda out there, nobody really knows much about him, He's from Galilee. He's from Nazareth. You're going to follow that guy and give up on all that we've invested in you? Like you could see, to, at this time, to follow Jesus could have been seen as an act of rebellion against the family. Because you would actually literally have to leave and move and give up and sacrifice and potentially hurt. You can imagine a scenario when someone said, I want to follow Jesus. They're like, don't you even care about the family anymore? Don't you care about all the stuff that we did for you? Don't you care that we gave you an education? Don't you care that we fed you and we provided for you and we trained you and we set a job for you and we set the path for your life? Don't you care? You can imagine that's a very, very easy scenario for people to have experience. That's, so, so what Jesus is talking about is, yes, when you follow Jesus, it is about prioritizing your commitment over all. It's a a reshuffling and a rearranging of your life's priorities and commitments to put Jesus at the top above every other thing. The the New Living Translation kind of understands what Jesus was doing here, and they build it into the verse. So it it makes it a lot easier to hear for us. Here's a Luke chapter 14 verse in the New Living Translation. It says, if you want to be my disciple, you must, comma, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. So, so, like, that's kind of what he's saying. That's how we understand, how we can understand what he's talking about in this verse. So, what I want to do is I want to reframe this question or reframe this thought, reframe this concept into what I call, what we're calling the verses statement. In this series, the year of Jesus, when we're getting serious about following Jesus, we talked about, you know, uh decision versus commitment, knowing versus intimacy. For us today, this is the statement. Jesus as one of many versus Jesus as the one and only. Let me repeat that. Jesus as one of many versus Jesus as the one and only. When it comes to your loyalty, when it comes to your allegiance, When it comes to your heart, when it comes to the thing that that informs and guides your decision-making, what is it? What is the thing that has a hold of your heart and your values and your priorities? What is the thing? Who is the thing? And where is Jesus in that picture? Is he one of many other things? Or is he the only thing? Jesus is. As one of many versus Jesus as the one and only. You see, what Jesus is talking about in Luke chapter 14 is not not a list. It's not, okay, guys, what I want to do is I want to be number one. And then number two to 10, you guys pick whatever you want, right? You know, it's not a scenario where, like, okay, Jesus is first in my life, and then number two, it's my family. And then number three, it's my job or my schoolwork or my grades. And then number four, it's like my fun and my comfort and and leisure activities and pleasure. And number five, and number six, and number that's actually not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about for the race for your life, the race for your heart. It's not put, make Jesus number one and put everything behind him, which is actually what we often teach. You've heard this in church, right? Put Jesus first. Make Jesus first. Make him the number one priority. That's not what he's talking about. He's not saying, I want to be the first of many other things. Jesus is saying, I want to be the only one on the track. I want to be the only one in the race for your heart. It's not me and then a bunch of other stuff. It's me and nothing else. It's not even me and numbers two through ten are way back there. It's me and me alone. Is Jesus one of many things in your life, even if he's number one? Or is Jesus the only thing when it comes to your loyalty, when it comes to your allegiance, when it comes to your heart? Now, I know that seems extreme, right? Some of you guys are like, dude, that's crazy. Like, how can I, how can I live like that? And we're going to unpack that a little bit more. And as, as, as wild as that seems as a relational dynamic and as crazy as may, you may think that Jesus would even ask that of us, this is actually very true in other very important relationships in your life, okay? So I'm gonna make an analogy to, uh, I'm gonna compare it to married life. Now, it doesn't matter if you're married. It doesn't matter, I think you're gonna understand what we're gonna talk about That You don't have to be married, you just need to understand like, what marriage is, right? Which probably everybody knows. So imagine, imagine a scenario where you come home to your spouse. You say, honey, we got to talk, which is always a very difficult conversation, a difficult way to start the conversation. We need to talk. And you say, honey, I have a confession to make. I actually have three more wives or three more husbands. You, you don't know about them, but I do, and it's been weighing on me for the last five years, or 10 years, or 12 years, but I actually am married to three other people. And then imagine if you said, but don't worry, you're number one. All right? But imagine, you say, but it's fine. Like, I love you the most. I have these other spouses, yes, but you're number one, honey. So you think in that moment, your spouse is going to be like, oh, that's fantastic. I'm so glad I'm number one. Come here. Let me give you a hug. Right? Like, that's ridiculous, right? That's a crazy scenario. You You could imagine that that would not fly with your spouse. That would not fly with your family. That would not fly. That would not be okay. It's not, I want to be your number one wife. I want to be your number one husband. No, I'm your only wife. I'm your only husband. That's fair, isn't it? Like we understand that. That's clear. But we go to Jesus with that kind of thinking. Jesus, it's okay. I, I know these other things are really important to me and they drag my att- attention, and I'm really focused on other things. And, and yeah, but but you're number one. But Jesus is saying to you today, Luke chapter 14, I don't want to be one of many, I want to be your one and only. You hear me? Like, that's a completely different way to understand this kind of dynamic, this kind of relationship. Now, I don't know what your response is to that. I, I could imagine some people think that that's a little much. That's a little extreme, Jesus. And, and maybe part of you thinks, like, how could he ask of this? You know, what I want you to understand, what's, why, why this is so important, where Jesus' heart, heart is at in this is, you know, Jesus is not some kind of, like, controlling, insecure, self-important, like, I got to control my people. I can be the only one they love. I can be the only one in their life. That's not who Jesus is. Like, the reason why Jesus wants to be your one and only, this is so important. The reason why Jesus wants to be your one and only is because in some miraculous way, for Jesus, you are his one and only. But, but, but Chris, what are you talking about? There's, like, billions of people on the planet. I know that, and there's billions of people who have lived on this planet all throughout history. There's so many people that have existed, and He loves all. How can I be His one and only? And you know what? Honestly, I don't really understand. But but Jesus paints a picture like each and every single one of us is His one and only, right? In the parable of the lost sheep, what does He say? He says, "If I have a hundred sheep, and one of them leaves, I will leave the ninety-nine to go to the one." What what He's expressing is His heart. That my people, my children, each one, I love individually as my one and only. I, was gonna, I would risk it all just for that one person, for that one sheep. So in this like strange, miraculous, godlike way, in a way that only God can do, even though there's billions of people on the planet, you are somehow his one and only. Somehow he is able to relate to us in that way. You know, I like to say that God doesn't love y'all. You know what I mean? Like, God doesn't love you all. God loves you. Jesus doesn't love y'all. He loves you individually and personally. You are, in this amazing way, his one and only. So, when you have that kind of love for someone or something, it's natural to want that same kind of love in return. This is why Jesus desires to be your one and only, because that's how He loves you. Now I, I, I think if you grew up in the church and, and you've heard this kind of stuff, like you know this is true. you know this is true. The real trouble is applying this to our lives because when I hear this, my thought is, okay, so, like, what am I supposed to do then? Like, how do I make Jesus my one and only? Does that mean, like, I, all I can do in my life is sit at home and read the Bible and pray all day, every day? Like, is, am I supposed to be a monk? Like, that's what monks do. Is that, do we all just need to do that now? Do I, do I now, should I sell all my stuff, go be a missionary? Like, maybe. Maybe, like, that is your calling, right? Maybe, like, for you, for, for Jesus to be your one and only, that is something that you have to do. I don't know. But that's the trouble. Like, what are we supposed to do with our life? Does this mean that I just cannot care about anything else? Like, I can't care about my hobbies. I can't, what about my family? Like, what, I'm, I, I can't care about my family anymore because Jesus is my one and only? You guys, you have to understand, this is not what this, this is about. To make Jesus your one and only doesn't mean that you don't care about anything else in your life. It doesn't mean that everything else doesn't matter and you have no more passions except for God and you have no more cares and no more conviction for anything else. That's not what this is. It's not about, oh, you don't care for your family anymore. It is, what this means is when Jesus is your one and only, you begin to care for your family as Jesus would care for your family. You care for your family motivated and informed and guided by Jesus. It doesn't mean you don't care, it's you care for your family as Jesus would care for your family. That's what it looks like. Well, so I'm not supposed to care about my job anymore? Like, I spent so much time in school and, and I'm learning all these things and, and I love my job or I need my job, I, I just, so I'll we'll stop caring? No, no, no. When Jesus is your one and only, what it means is you do your job every single day, but you do it as Jesus would do it in your place. You do it with with honesty. You do it with compassion. You do it with generosity. You do it with understanding. You do it with care and mercy and grace. Like you do your job and you go to school and you take your classes and you take your tests as Jesus would. That's what it looks like to live life as Jesus as your one and only. It doesn't mean you give up your hobbies. It doesn't mean that you give up your passions. It doesn't mean that you stop caring about those things. It means it means bringing Jesus into all the things you love and sharing that with him. All right, so it's not about, like, becoming this, like, weird person that, that cares about nothing else. No, it's about bringing Jesus into all the things that you love, inviting him in, right? And, and like, I don't know. This is, this is where I'm going to give you guys a practical teaching, and this is something that I've been trying to implement in my life, and I've, I've done it better in other seasons of life than I have in recent, I'm trying to do it again, but this is a real simple, easy thing that you can do. This is a real simple, easy thing that you can do if you wanna like begin to, to make Jesus your one and only and kind of like do all that stuff, is as you do the things that you love, like simple, simple, just invite him into that. Okay, invite him into that. Like, before you go to work, before you step through the doors, or while you're in the car, invite him in to your work. Invite him in to your work, right? If you're going to go, go play golf, invite him in to play. Some of us need to pray about our golf game, okay, right? Like Pastor Jonathan especially. Uh, <laughs> but you know, when you go and do the things that you love, the things that you like to do for fun, like invite him in, like you're when you're on the first tee, Hey, God, I just want to invite you into this round. Maybe you'll play better. Who knows? Right? Before you're about to cook the meal, invite him in to that moment. Before you take the test, invite him in into that moment. Before you go work out, invite him in. God, be with me in this workout. Let's, let's work out together, God. Like, let's, let's do this. Before you watch the movie, invite him in. Before you listen to the song, invite him in. Like, I know it's simple, but just try it. See what happens if you just const- are aware of his presence as you do the things that you do, the things that you love, this is how we are able to make Jesus our one and only and how to apply it in our lives in a way that is realistic without us having to like move to the mountains and be monks, unless you're called to that, and then maybe that's what, what you should do. Just invite him in. And all the little things, invite, invite him in. So as Jesus was teaching this in Luke chapter 14, this is what he was getting across. I want to be your one and only. I want to be, I don't want to be in competition with anything else. I want nothing else to compete with your loyalty and your allegiance and your heart, just me. And This is what it looks like. Now as we get to near the end, as we're closing the sermon off, I wanna just like make it really practical for you guys to figure out where your heart is. We, we had that question last week, where is your heart? Where is your heart? Is your heart far from God? And I, I wanna ask three different questions about some of your habits that will help you to reveal whether Jesus is your one and only or he's just simply one of many, okay? So this is gonna get maybe uncomfortable for some of you guys, but I'm not answering the question for you. No one is, only you answer this question for yourself, so I'm gonna lead you through this, okay? So three questions, to three things to look at to reveal where you are in this conversation, okay? The first one is what does your spending reveal? What does your spending reveal? What does your bank account reveal where your priorities are? What does your, 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 your balance, what does your credit card bill, look at your spending, look at your budget, what does your budget reveal is very important to you? Think about your spending habits and the things that you spend money on, right? Jesus talked about this often. Jesus knew that money is one of the greatest competitors for, for your life. Or Jesus and money, he talks about this. In Matthew chapter 6, he talks about this two ways, right? He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. By the way, I'm talking about money. You cannot serve both God and money. So that's the first thing that we got to look at. Look at our spending. What does my spending reveal what is important to me? What does my spending reveal that, is, that I am loyal to and my allegiance is given to he also says this in Matthew chapter six, verse 21, the same chapter, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you spend your money on reveals what's going on in your heart, reveals your priorities. So again, I'm not, asking the, I'm not answering the question, you answer the question, what does your spending reveal? You know, and, and like, I, there was something that I wanted to share, and then I was like, oh, I don't think I'm going to really talk about that, but I'm feeling moved that this is something that we have to talk about for some reason, and this is really, really challenging, and I want you to understand that this is not coming from a place of judgment, this is just an important question to ask. When we think about what we spend on, especially like big ticket items, and, and I've been this in this situation a number of times, like when you're going to buy a house or buy a car, what do we think about? How much house can I buy? How much can I get? Like how far? How how far can I stretch this? How much can I buy when I'm buying this thing? But then when it comes to giving, and you think about tithe, how many of you have had this conversation? Let's be honest. Do I tithe from my gross income or my net income? Do I tithe from what I really get paid or let me take all the taxes, take all the deductions out, or do I tithe from that? If you take a moment to think about that scenario, what we're really saying, again, not a place of judgment or condemnation. We're saying, when it comes to stuff for me, how much can I spend? When it comes to God, how little can I give? And We have to ask these hard questions about our lives to reveal where our heart is. Is he one of many or the one and only. So the first thing is look at your spending. What does your spending reveal? Number two, the question is, what does your schedule reveal? What does your time, the way you live your life and, and your, your you plan your schedules, what does your schedule reveal about your heart? What does your schedule reveal about what is important to you? What does your schedule reveal about what has your loyalty and allegiance. Dallas Willard in this book called The Great Omission that I've been reading lately, he says this, the disciple is one who intent upon becoming Christ-like and so dwelling in his faith and practice systematically, this is important, systematically and progressively rearranges his affairs to that end. What he's saying is is if we want to follow Jesus, if we want to be serious about Jesus, Jesus has to be that central point Everything else is arranged around him. Not something else is really important and let's throw Jesus in where there's some empty space. No, Jesus is the central point in which everything else is arranged. So what does your schedule reveal? What does your day-to-day time usage reveal is important to you and is valuable to you? Jesus, according to, this, uh, to this, this, this quote, it's like the way the planets orbit around the sun, our schedules should orbit around Jesus. Does that make sense? That reveals where our heart is. And the third thing, and this is something that I like, thought about recently, is, is what, what does your feed reveal? What does your feed reveal? And and what I mean by this is for people who, who uh, who do social media. If you don't do social media, this one doesn't apply to you. You don't really have to pay attention. What does your feed reveal? And I talk about your feed is like when you open your social media account, what is coming through on your feed? That reveals what's on your heart. You see, these social media companies... Right, and everyone talks about the evils of social media, whatever, right, and and there's a lot of truth to that. But they have spent billions and billions of dollars to predict what you care about. And what we have in our hands, on our phones, in our feeds is a visual representation of your heart, of the things that you care about, of the things that matter to you, the things that you search. And they take what you search and continue to compile more things that they believe that you care about. So if you look at your feed... It shows you your heart. If you go to Instagram and you press the little magnifying magnifying glass button, it'll show you all the things that you care about and all the things that that Instagram thinks you care about. So if you look at mine, you're going to find a lot of Green Bay Packers on there right now. There's a ton of Packers. There's a ton of football. There's some golf. And for some reason, there's Batman and Spider-Man on my feed. Like, these are clearly are the things that are important to me. Like, it shows me. And I, I was, like, a little bit surprised. Like, oh, I guess I, like, look up these things that, that often. And some of you, you don't want other people to see your feed. Right? Some of you, when you say that, if I were to be like, hey, everyone, put your phones and show everyone your feed, you'd be like, no, I'm not doing that. Why? Because it reveals what's on our heart. So so what does our our spending reveal? What does our schedule reveal? But what does our social media feeds reveal about what's in our lives and what is important to us? So ask these questions. Ask these questions this week, and think about it and look at these things. Look at your budget. Look at your schedule. Look at your, your calendar app. And look at your social media feed, your YouTube feed, your TikTok feed, whatever. Shows you what, what's going on inside here. So as we close this message, the key, the key question, the key statement is this. Question, is Jesus, is Jesus one of many? Or is Jesus my one and only? That's the question I want to pose to you. If we want to be serious about Jesus, we got to ask this question. And we got to figure out how we can live life with Jesus as our one and only. How we can bring him in to all the things we care about. To love our families as Jesus would love them. To do our jobs as Jesus would do them. To, to, to spend time in our hobbies and our passions in the way that Jesus to evaluate the things of our lives, to evaluate our spending, our schedule, and our social media through the lens and through the mind and through the perspective of our Heavenly Father and our living Savior. So as we close this message, I simply want to give you two pieces of, of advice. And we already went there just to wrap it up. Ask the questions and invite him in. That's the two things we talked about. Ask the questions and invite him in. Ask the three questions. What does my spending, my schedule, my feed reveal? And then start inviting him into your life in all the little things. Wake up in the morning, before you eat, before you go to school, before you play golf, before you exercise, before you hang out with friends, before you listen to music, before you watch a movie, before you watch a show. Like, just invite him in. This is how we can make Jesus our one and only. So next week, as I was saying, that we're talking about how following Jesus relates to following the rules is what we're talking about next week. So it's really important for those of, us, those of you who grew up maybe in a Christian home where it was a lot about the rules, like next week is gonna be really, really helpful for you. And I, and I hope and I'm praying that through this series of these next few weeks that we're really gonna come to a place we're, we're going to be able to say that 2022, this is going to be the year of Jesus. This is the year where I took Jesus very seriously in my life. And I mentioned this last week. We're going to, I'm going to share something with you in a couple of weeks about how you can make a decision for that to practically engage in something that could alter your life and alter your relationship with Jesus. And that's coming up in a couple of weeks. And I'm hoping you're going to be there for that. And I'm going to invite you to be a part of this. And we'll see what happens. And in a couple of weeks, that announcement is going to come out. So, Um, As we're going to close right now, I want to invite you guys to pray with me for for, for all of you guys here, for those of us watching, and pray for the rest of the series as we really, this could be a game-changing time for each and every single one of us. It could begin that year where Jesus really becomes our Lord, where he really becomes our Lord who who becomes our one and only. And all else of life, all other parts of life are guided and informed and instructed and motivated, all that from Jesus and Jesus alone. Let's pray, Father in heaven, God. I thank you, Lord, for uh, another tough message for us to hear. I pray, God, that right now in this moment, people are kind of ruminating and, and digesting and thinking and processing. And I hope that that would not end today or in the next five minutes, Father. But throughout this day and this week, we would ask those questions. We look at our spending and our schedule and our feeds, Lord, and show show us our hearts. Let's be honest, God. Show us what, what we really care about. Show us what we really prioritize in our life. Not just what we say, but what we actually do. And Lord, Father, as you reveal those things to us, even though they may be uncomfortable, even though they may be challenging, God, I pray that you would lead us to a place, Father, where we can be more devoted, more committed, because you're not interested, Lord, in casual followers and fans and admirers, Lord, but you want disciples you want followers who are committed who have an intimate relationship with you and can honestly say that you are the one and only thing that guides our lives that we are loyal to continue to be with us be with everyone listening be with anyone who would listen later father this that these messages and these words father would begin to make a change in our hearts that need to happen lord in me pray amen